I'm This Is The Way podcast host Steve Lascauso, and I've just watched the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. What a journey. When I started out coverage of this show, I had this grand plan where I'd be the first to watch, first to post, and that that would present the opportunity to bring fresh ears to the listenership. I counted on the series itself being the source of my inspiration, but maybe it was frustration at what I was seeing, or the sloppiness of the writing, the great actors mixed in with the opposite. (laughs) I found it harder and harder to let go of this attachment I had to the original trilogy, and all the feelings that it inspired in me. The finale is fantastic. Except for some little things, but a, a... A plot problem, to me, big enough to fly through with the Super Star Destroyer. Before I get to that, this is the time for me to warn you, you need to have watched Part 6 of Obi-Wan Kenobi before you listen to this podcast. If not, you'll hear all about it from me first, so don't expect a spoiler-free experience. If you continue past the break, you're going to hear my thoughts, my first thoughts, about the series finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah? Good. Hello there. I don't mind us opening on Tatooine, but I'm going to say it right off the top. Reva's story should have ended on Jabin. The hokey communicator plot point is still bad a week later. Still, I held out hope. Maybe she dies, and she's buried by the sands, taking all that information with her. I was much more interested in what was happening with the transport. I wonder if anybody else found it interesting that if R2 was there, he probably would have fixed the hyperdrive. So it just goes to show you how important my little buddy R2 is. Leia, consoling the passengers with Lola, once again shows you how dumb it was for them to use Lola as a plot point the way that they did. Leia ends up putting Lola in her holster later in the episode, but she didn't try looking for her to take her with her in the vents. She's been like a security blanket for the whole show. The writers just, they're incapable of consistency. Here, Leia is exhibiting her leadership among the people of the path, and Obi-Wan is admitting fear, or, or what? She keeps their minds off of her. Maybe I should borrow her, too. I liked meeting young Luke here after spending so much time with young Leia. I also like seeing that Owen has friends in town, and I'm glad we don't hear what the merchant had to say. You know, Reva was looking for Owen, so it could just be that Reva mentioned Owen and the boy, and that this merchant is just telling him that. I'm glad we never heard the Reva and merchant conversation earlier, because the less people know anything about Luke being important enough to ask about, the better. Back on the transport, Leia is upset. Ben has a plan, and once again, the writers just have this thing where they think it's cool to trust Leia with this con man. You have my word. Although I know the word of a liar and a fake Jedi may not mean much to you. It's good enough for me. Why? It's just dumb. Look, I've seen the Twitter posts and the social media things where people are like, oh, it's great. Obi-Wan's learning to trust, and that's how he trusts Han Leia. Han 
was a paid guy. It was transport from one place to another. And he was also offered more. Obi-Wan was conning Han, almost, right? Into taking them with them. So, I I don't understand that. It doesn't track. But it's a good excuse for those people who really like this. That's a weird story. I don't hate Haja. I just don't think as a father, or a father figure, you would trust this guy first. Okay, maybe if he was a last resort. But there are other people there. Anyway, we get a really great scene of Owen and Baru being totally awesome guardians, by the way. Baru insisting on staying and also defending the homestead alone. Well, okay, so it was surprising, but it it made me feel great. I loved seeing this motherly instinct kick in, but not even just motherly. It was like, we're enough, you know? The, it, was, it was so great. They break out their home defense model rifle blasters, which I'm kind of surprised Disney would let them have at all. You know, they're inviting danger into their home, basically. I thought maybe... They would say, oh, Reva's misunderstood and weapons wouldn't be needed. We could just talk our problems out. All my hopes about Disney changing were just silly because they make sure that the weapons are totally useless in their hands, right? I think that almost proves their point rather than having Baru just take a good old-fashioned sniper shot to the back of Reva's skull. I'm not leaving my home. At least here we have a chance. If we stay, we need help. I'm not putting anyone else in danger, Owen. We're enough. You and me. They could have been enough. They should have been enough. I just don't think the writers had the brains or the guts to let them be the ones to take out Reva. Even if Reva was just totally off guard. Like I said, in the canyons, maybe she's distracted. Boom. Blaster shot, she's done. But no, we can't. We we just can't have that. Even if it was a woman taking the shot. No, we, we can't have that. Then back on the transport, uh uh-oh, another plot problem. Haja didn't have enough time to go back for the dropped communicator, but Roken could go through Tala's things, find a holster, and then find also the time to give to Obi-Wan. Take only what you need to survive. Look, I can say it time and time again, and if you don't think the writing was bad, that's okay. But I'm watching the same show that everyone else is, and I know it's bad. Oh, and by the way, Obi-Wan has another plea to Qui-Gon Jinn where he says, let me just let him say it. I have to face him, Master. Whether he dies or I do, this ends today. Except it doesn't end, right? And once again, he leaves him alive, which has to happen for the story. But again, didn't you do this 10 years ago? Looks like Anakin wasn't the only one who needed more lessons, right? So I guess it makes sense that he's trying to talk to his old master here, right? Roken stops or tries to stop him again. But honestly, this is the best chance. This plan that Obi-Wan has is the best chance if they can't get the hyperdrive working. The moment also gives Obi-Wan a chance to anoint Roken a leader, which is great because Roken, unlike Reva, is a likable Star Wars character. We cannot prioritize one lone Jedi. He is not just any Jedi. Follow Kenobi. 
At once, Lord Vader. I like Vader's obsession. It fits. It's so easy, even the writers with half a brain can't screw it up. He is menacing, single-minded, and at this point, it certainly does make sense to me that he would be this way. What doesn't is Lucasfilm and Disney's obsession with Reva. She should be dead. But okay. If not, fine. Kill her here on Tatooine, and then the secret's safe. And then we see the dark side fail. The only bright side of this entire plot point is seeing Owen Baru and Luke be a family together. Again, if that's what you were after as a writer, there were other ways to do it. But if it had to be Reva for you, you still could have done it differently than you did. You could still kill her off, and you could still make everything make better sense. Prepare my ship. I will face him alone. Obi-Wan lands on a planet we don't get the name of. I desperately searched through Wikipedia and the internet for a planet in the same region as Tatooine that looked similar and couldn't find one. Maybe it's a planet we visited in Rebels during daylight. Maybe Clone Wars. Maybe it's just a new planet. I want to know, even though it's not that important. Leia stashed Lola for Obi-Wan, but that didn't move me at all. It felt more like the writer patting himself on the back for remembering to pay off a line earlier in the show. It didn't feel like a tender moment to me. Owen and Baru get ready on Tatooine as the perimeter alarms go off, and Reva walks into the farmstead, lightsaber in hand. Vader lands on the planet, and as soon as he disembarks, there's Obi-Wan. Have you come to destroy me, Obi-Wan? I will do what I must. Then you will die. The more I watch, the more it feels like the writers are just writing awful plot points and sticking a totally cool lightsaber duel in, and then it's like my rage goes from a 10 to a 4. I'm such an absolute sucker for these great lightsaber duels. Why? I... I really just can't say anything bad about them. The way it looked with that moon or other planet looming so large in the sky behind the fight and having it in the dark, well, it just was great. And then we go to Tatooine, and again, this is a different planet with different light sources, so it might not be happening at the same exact time. I think it is. I wish it wasn't. That just doesn't make sense to me. Owen and Baru are both missing their shots. Reva pushes in on them, which is, you know, she's a little slow doing that. Maybe because she's injured. It makes it exciting. But these are two unarmored amateurs with rifles, and she knows the force. Still, there's that whole, we know Baru and Owen survive thing that has to happen. So there's absolutely no danger or fear in my mind. This whole thing is pointless. It's just for action's sake. Except the real action is back on that rock-spired planet. Your strength has returned. But the weakness still remains. I loved just about every moment of the duel. I loved the use of force and the saber clashing, but mostly I just loved them both unleashing on each other. 
Vader trapping him in a pit was almost like him saying, I have the high ground now. If there's even the smallest gripe, it's that there's so much bad blood between them. Neither of them, though, wants to finish the job. Did you truly think that you could defeat me? You have failed, master. Vader has the mask on, but I swear I could see Anakin's face. You know, for a moment, that wave of relief, triumph, just a hint of sadness when he thinks he's won. You really love the boy. Like he's your own. He is my own. So this line from Rira really serves as proof for those people that think she doesn't know who the boy is or that he's important and that she just knows something about him. No, she knows. What's great is that Owen is here in front of a lightsaber and he's not cowering like a baby. He stands between Reva and the room Luke is hiding, swinging what looked to me like a cryogenic density combustion booster you know, from the Mandalorian or actually from the Book of Boba Fett. Reva is clearly not fighting in top shape. I believe her wound isn't healed. She's just operating on rage. Rage and revenge she's calling justice. So... That should mean, if the rage is gone, she dies, right? Well, I mean, that's what I was hoping. Otherwise, with no medical help or Bacta, you know, she wouldn't be in as good a shape if it wasn't that she was just operating off this rage, right? Here, an old man with a stick is holding off a force user. Not for long, but she knocks him off the walkway. He injures his leg. Bro, she's coming! Owen warns Baru, who ends up cold-cocking Reva when she comes in, but thankfully Baru is wearing her plot armor, so Reva just throws her to the ground, not cutting her in half. Luke was already heading through the roof hatch when Reva walked in with her red lightsaber aglow. But I think he should have already been gone. Now this is a minor camera setup mistake. Because where he was on the ladder, he could have seen her come through the door with the red lightsaber and likely would have looked out of just human nature. It was dark, there's this powerful red light coming through, and his head was just barely through the hatch when we see him, which is after she comes through the door and gets knocked or hit on the back of the head. Chow should have thought about that when setting up the scene. And no, I don't think Luke wouldn't have looked just because he's Luke and wouldn't have looked because Baru told him just to run. He's running across the desert to the rocky outcroppings that Ben probably watched from while Reva has to come back through the farmstead buildings, so he's got a good head start. Reva's lightsaber is now off. Baru and Owen's plot armor keeps them safe. So that was at least the best foot chase Chow has managed during the series. I don't mind, like I've seen some people say that the saber scenes between Vader and Konobi are intercut with this stuff, but maybe they could have waited to introduce Reva's time on Tatooine until Obi-Wan got buried, and then cut back to better represent the timeline of events, because even hyperspace takes time, and Obi-Wan ends up getting to Tatooine pretty quickly. I thought having him straining under that rock and hearing the voices was nice, was an effective way of showing some passion Maybe even a little dark side energy was working in Obi-Wan's favor here. I felt like he displayed appropriate anger, and the rocks exploded and he sprung to action. Seeing Vader calmly strolling back to his ship, and then slow down, made me wonder if Obi-Wan was using stealth, or maybe it was just force speed that he was using. His mind 
wasn't cleared of his old master, right? Even when Vader thought he had him beaten. Obi-Wan's raising of the White Walker rocks, you know, the little hand gesture that he makes with both hands, that was totally cool. He even had a smile a little bit when he was schooling his Padawan. Even that wasn't enough to take down Vader. He's more machine now than man. Twisted and evil. Reva running in the desert did break up an otherwise thrilling sequence for me, and for nothing, really. She's grunting heavily, so once again, I'm holding out hope. This is her last gasp. She's gonna die. Vader and Obi-Wan still are at it. When you look back at the lunge that turns into Kenobi bashing the breathing control panel on Vader's chest, that really could have or should have been the end of Ben, except for the plot. Vader stops him with that one hand, and then maybe if he wasn't worn out from fighting or the rocks, he could have just been quick enough to plunge his saber into Obi-Wan or even take off his head. But Obi-Wan spins out of it, throws another rock, even slashes his bro's back. He force pushes back a laboring Dark Lord of the Sith and then gets a running leap, like off a rock or something, and cuts down onto his head. So that, folks, is where the scar on his head in Return of the Jedi comes from. I'm absolutely fine with it. Epic clash. Vader's face half revealed, almost a mirror image of what would happen a few years later at the saber of Anakin's Padawan, Ahsoka. That fight on Malachor. Anakin's gone. I am what remains. Uh, I, uh... (laughs) This was a tough scene to watch. I'm sorry, Anakin. For all of it. I I was tempted just to play the whole scene. And if you've seen the episode, you you know why. I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. You... Didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. To me, the whole series is this sequence. I never had an issue with the way the prequels left things, but if people wonder about Obi-Wan's Force Ghost on Dagobah relaying information from a certain point of view, or even just Obi-Wan on the Death Star before yielding, this scene puts a bow on everything for me. Goodbye. The Obi-Wan scream is going to live on as well. Maybe even just outright killing that Sam Witwer, Darth Maul, Kenobi scream. After a fourth watch, I feel like having Luke scream, though, when Reva force pulls him down. That should not have been included. That's kind of all I want to say about it, but... I'm overly aware of how Disney has treated Luke, and here he's 10, so... Luke. Three separate times in closed captioning. On the way down, it says shrieks, then shrieking, then screaming, and crying. Suddenly, Obi-Wan's attenuation shifts from Lola on the dash of his ship, and he's just spent a harrowing few days with Leia, and now he's thinking immediately about Luke. Since Obi-Wan is a powerful Force user, and maybe even has been spending ten years attuning himself to Luke in the Force, I'm going to allow this. Except, this really throws what I feel would have been acceptable timing off for me. 
Because this means this is happening concurrently. So Reva finds a ship on Jabim. She's hurt and crawling as she was. Obi-Wan and Roken and the people of the path had already left, found themselves hunted by Vader and the Devastator. So she gets in the ship. She's she's still injured, right? She's just had her insides, you know, cauterized, basically, by a lightsaber. So all that happened. Then she waits until nightfall, all while Obi-Wan and Vader duel, finish. Then Obi-Wan punches in coordinates to go back to Tatooine because he has them waiting because he just makes the jump to light, you know, light speed. Again, if the writers had any talent, they'd have staggered the timing a little bit to make it more believable. But just like they're writing, this feels rushed and sloppy to me. I don't even mind Reva getting this far, and I don't mind her staying her hand. First of all, she has to, because he lives. The only stumbling block placed in front of her has been Obi-Wan surrendering and implying that he wants her to succeed in taking out Vader back on Jabin. And it was a half-hearted attempt to convince a woman who has killed innocent people again and again. This is not her saving her son. This is not Vader saving Luke. This is her saving herself. You even see her see herself in Luke. To me, I'd have liked her to stab herself just with the saber, or maybe even just walk off into the desert, fall over, her injury finally taking her, and then maybe at the end we see the sand just covering her up or something. Here's one petter. Baru snipes her in the back of the head. I really wanted that to happen. Instead, this injured woman, <laughs> who finally chooses not to kill after it being the thing that was keeping her alive, carries Luke back toward his home. Where is he? He's gone. I'll look in the dune sea. We'll search till we find him. Years later, Ben kills Maul in the desert, and here it's him basically pardoning Reva? She should be dead, folks. She just carried like a, at least an 80-pound kid in the desert with a, a, a chest wound or a stomach wound? Come on. There's no reason for her to live. This is the largest and I think most unforgivable mistake of the series. I still held up hope that she would stab herself in the end with a saber and that all of that information would die with her. Who you become now. That is up to you. Ben, it shouldn't be. This is, in fact, a mistake allowing this information to exist. I don't think this is subjective here. I think this is an objective mistake. Now you're free. We both are. Oh, so dumb. Mustafar, though, wasn't dumb. Neither is the awesome scene we get with Vader having a hollow zoom with Palpatine. It's as if Vader thinks he's on the same page as Sidious, and then when he discovers he's not, he's like a dog that heals. I wonder if your thoughts are clear on this, Lord Vader. Perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. If your past cannot be overcome. Kenobi means nothing. Down boy. 
right? Vader might be, in this very moment, realizing he's not the alpha dog he thinks he is. Since I'm not a comic book guy, I don't know if this is before or after him seeking out a way to connect with Padme. Supposedly he does this in the bowels of his castle through the dark side of the Force. I would love it if it was right before. Like, this is the moment he now misses her. Misses her enough and feels alone enough to go to extreme lengths. Apparently... He's never in on the Emperor's afterlife plans, right? I serve only you, my master. Going from the Imperial March to Alderaan was kind of interesting, I think. Seeing Leia now bringing more of her personality to her presentation was fitting. I love Leia, and for the most part, enjoyed young Leia's inclusion. I just think, at the end, they overused her just a little bit too much. Especially with how little we see Luke, but that fault lies only with the awful writing in my mind. Ben's revealing of Leia's gifts with her theme accompanying the scene was terrific. Hearing him tell her they must be careful in correspondence also is just barely enough to make it plausible that she'd remember in the heat of the moment to call him General Kenobi. But honestly, she's including stolen plans in R2. So at that point, pretending she doesn't know him would be moot. The writers, once again, not smart enough to think that through. They only remember the surface stuff, not the implications of it in a real-world situation. Goodbye, princess. May the force be with you. One last thing remains, and that's leaving us with the State of the Union on Tatooine. Seeing him pack up and leave the cave for a more suitable homestead was okay. Seeing him leave Owen and Baru to the caretaking of Luke for good reason was cool. Seeing him get to meet Luke, give him the ship he still has in A New Hope was very cool. Hello there. But the payoff from so early in Episode 1, the thing I might have most wanted to see comes at the very end. Obi-Wan finally, as he earlier told Reva, free of his guilt and shame and regret over what he thought he was responsible for with Anakin, Obi-Wan can finally reach that place where he can commune with his master. I don't think it should be that easy, but we're only seeing what we're allowed to see, right? And truthfully, seeing a process of him you know, working this out, that would never be satisfying. It's much cooler just to have the meeting at the end of the series, but it's the start of a long journey into the living force. I was always here, Obi-Wan. You just were not ready to see. Come on, you've got a ways to go. I loved this episode. Seeing so much great stuff and then having this one part that's so obviously wrong to me really bothers me. It would be so much simpler and less complicated to just have Reva dead Disney just couldn't do it. It's also more deserving for her to die, painful childhood or not. She can't be excused. She didn't have a redemption arc. No, she did not. They didn't develop her as a character. She was poorly developed. That's on the writers. What the writers gave her was poorly delivered by the actor. And it's more obvious when she's up against more able actors, I think. I don't think it did her any favors to share an episode with Leia. Either because uh, a little girl being on par or better than her shows her how weak she is or just her acting. 
I do not believe that Reva was the main character, but she was a major character. And that's a fault that might come from the plot needing to bridge a gap. The times that the writers tried to pretend Luke and Leia were in danger were just almost comically bad. If you have these major characters, again, major, not main, that's who you use to create the suspense. The major ones, not the main ones that can't die. Owen and Beru can't die. Reva can. So, kill her. Have them prove why they were so capable to raise Luke. They kill an injured Force user and ending once and for all a threat of extremely dangerous information. Ben and Leia can't die. So, Tala did. Except she was a much better character than Reva. I don't know who is mostly responsible for the scripts we got, but the scenes that were shot were on Deborah Chow. So I liked what she did with The Mandalorian, but there were some camera setups that were just not good. I don't think ultimately she was the right choice for the show. I don't have an alternative for you. The show, it's over. Just like Ben and Anakin said, it's over. Well, it might not be over, at least according to Kathleen Kennedy. She says Lucasfilm is listening to the fans on how well Kenobi is received. Well, that would be a change. I wonder if she'll confuse the percentage of the finale that was exceptional with the entire show. Will there be a second season? Well, my biggest concern from now on is going to be who's writing it. And the only one I wouldn't mind seeing back would be Andrew Stanton. The rest of the team, take up sewing. It was advertised as a one and done. But listen, you need a story. With a good story, you can do with whatever you want, really, as long as you tell it well. I feel like there was a good story to be told here. And we just saw an okay version of it, but not a great one. There were great moments, absolutely. It could have been better, and yes, I think someone just like me could have helped navigate an asteroid field like that. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1! Never tell me the odds. If I missed something or got something wrong, okay, send in the emails. I'll record responses and include them in my next episode. That email address is thisisthewaypodcast at gmail.com, and you can find all our links at linktree slash thisisthewaypod, like our Twitter and Instagram handles at thisisthewaypod. What's next? Well, if I feel up to it, maybe a full recap and discussion podcast, and maybe a June news update, but we shall see. For now, I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is the way. May the Force be with you, always. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.